Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us. We love to sing how great you are. We thank you, Lord, that this is not an eye-closing imagination experience, but the reality of the greatness of our God. We thank you, Father. We've found you to be so great and wonderful. And Father, we ask you right now, please, in the name of Jesus, that your presence might be with us, that you, Lord, please, would be our teacher. We confess our great need of you. And we thank you, too, for your total commitment to us, your desire to teach us and bless us and move us. And Holy Spirit, please, would you right now open the eyes of our heart, captivate us, direct us into your purpose, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Picking up this Old Testament story, in the New Testament, James says, and I'll just read a couple of verses, you don't need to turn there. James, in chapter 5 of his epistle, says this, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The Amplified translation of that says, and the Amplified is a a Bible translation came out a few decades ago, and I remember when I was getting stirred about prayer, I, I discovered this verse so strongly and so inspired by it. The Amplified is a translation that tries to get behind some of the color of some of the Greek adjectives and also the tenses to try and bring the full meaning across. It's an interesting Bible translation. It says this, The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. And then the next verse says, Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Well, this is one of the most distinctive things about Elijah's life and ministry, that he prayed and closed the heavens, which we looked at ages and ages ago. And then, of course, he prayed again, and it rained. And God was behind all that. We haven't time to get into the teaching we've looked at before. I want to look more closely now at this focal point of prayer, that he prayed that the rain would come. And, of course, this is uh, significant because Often, down through the centuries, really, in church life, people have seen the coming of the rain as like the coming of the blessing or the presence of God. It's been associated often with prayer for revival. Oh, that you would come, that your rain might come. And certainly in Isaiah and other such Old Testament books, there's that sense that God is coming in that kind of way. Ask the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. He'll send bright clouds. And so this is very instructive for us about this great man of prayer. When the New Testament writer James is trying to illustrate and thinking about how important it is to pray, he could go back into the Old Testament and find many characters. But he plucks up Elijah and says, now this man. And, and he says this, he's a man just like us. He doesn't look just like us in so many ways, but in the next chapter you'll see he, he actually loses courage, runs away, and he looks a bit more like us there. But he is a man with the same nature as us, a man like we are. And that's the encouragement of Scripture, saying, look, all these Bible heroes are just like us. They're not special, they're not angels, they're not weird, they're just like us. And yet they got into such a relationship with God that they could release all kinds of things. They could take hold of God and see God move in extraordinary power. God's purpose breaking out in such a way that it arrested a nation. 
And so God is saying, come on, I want to encourage you to pray. And that's certainly been my prayer throughout this week, that you will be encouraged in your praying as a result of this study. So let's look at it together. Let's see some of the features of Elijah's prayer. And the first one is that he withdrew from the crowd. It says Elijah went up to the top of the mountain. He went away from the people, the, the praise, the celebration, that wow, the fire had fallen, God had vindicated himself, and, and there's a lot of euphoria around, but Elijah withdrew from it. And in that sense, he's very much like Jesus. You remember the Lord Jesus, he wouldn't get caught up in other people's agenda. He wouldn't let the excitement, the euphoria, the crowds that pressed in on him. You'll find again and again, Jesus withdrew. Jesus wasn't uh, in the crowd. You, they, they, where's Jesus gone? Where's, well, he's alone with the Father. And in that sense, Elijah is similar to him. He withdrew. He wouldn't let other people dictate his program. That's true also of the early apostles. When the early apostles saw thousands saved, I mean, 3,000, 5,000, wow, here we go. And yet, when the need, the social need began to arise, poverty and some of the poor uh, people, they said, look, you must look after this. This is hugely important, but we must follow Jesus' style. We must give ourselves to prayer. We're not going to let this thing form our agenda. Our agenda is going to be like Jesus. We will withdraw. We must give ourselves to prayer. So you find that being repeated into the New Testament. Jesus modeling it and the apostles following that model, Jesus not only modeled it, he actually taught it very clearly. Jesus said, when you pray, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, he says in verse 6, when you pray, go to your inner room and close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. I'd like to just look at some of those phrases. First of all, he says, now, when you pray, withdraw, and in the previous verse, Matthew 6, verse 5, he's comparing that with the Pharisees who like to put on a show of praying, that this is one of the ways they got their credibility, that they were uh, very prayerful. Jesus, no, don't do anything for show. You come and do it in a hidden way. It's not for men to see, it's for God to see. So that's the first reason that he mentions for withdrawing. You're coming to get with God. Then he says, and close the door. Come to your inner room. It's like we all need, as regards prayer, a place we go to. You know where your place is? If you've got a, a place you think, well, that's where I go and pray. That's where I go in the morning, or wherever it is you pray. I was reading Spurgeon this week, and he said, one hour in the morning is better than two hours at night. That's just a personal uh, reflection from Spurgeon, I guess, but you need to find a place that you say, that's, that's my place, that's where I go to, to pray. Jesus said, go into your room and close the door. That's like with your father, which is in secret. And we've got to find that kind of a context. I want to encourage you to build into your life a place where you go to pray. You may want to change it from time to time. You might want to change the sequence, how you do it, to freshen up and all, whatever. But to find a place that you say, no, that's where I go to be alone with God. And close the door. I know actually when you close the door, it doesn't always close the door on your mind, which is one of the challenges of prayer, isn't it? I usually keep a piece of paper there so that if I'm praying and something comes to mind, I just write it on the piece of paper, leave it there, carry on praying. Don't think, oh yeah, but I'll follow that now. It's quite helpful. That's the kind of closing the door mentality. Or just jot it, leave it now. Close the door. Why? Because you want to be with your father 
who is in secret. You're coming to relate to, to him. And it's interesting to notice how in, on three, three verses that follow straight on, Jesus uses the word father. He says, go and speak to your father, which is in secret. Your father, who sees you in secret, will reward you openly. Then again, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So you're going to be with a father who's aware of you, for you, and is actually already aware of what you're after. It's not like, yeah, what do you want? It's like, yes, I'm aware, I'm involved, I know, and yet somehow there's an asking in spite of his knowing. Now we'll work through that later on. But it's intimate, it's just wonderful. It's coming to a father. And of course it's a huge privilege to understand we are talking about coming to father. It's unique, it's New Testament. Unlike Elijah, Elijah would not have thought of coming to father. He's coming to Yahweh, he's coming to God. It says at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 4.26, Men began to call on the name of the Lord. They called on the name. That men began to call on the beginnings of prayer in the Bible. Men began to call upon, and what did they call on? The name of the Lord. And what does that mean? It means the way in which God revealed himself. We're not just whistling in the dark. We're not hoping for something. We're coming to a God who's initiated the relationship by telling us what he's like. And one of the ways he told us what he's like is he gives his name. So you'll find in the Old Testament lots of covenant names like the Lord Almighty, the God who sees you, the God who will provide. And so people called on God in the light of how he revealed himself. Edmund Clowney says that the USA or the American slang for a name is a handle. What's your handle? And he's saying, a handle is something you get a hold of. So when you've got someone's handle, somehow you, you know them. You can write. And he's, he uses that when talking about prayer. He says, when we come to God, he's given us a handle. He's given us a name. He's given us a way in which we can relate to him. This is the sort of God I'm talking to. I can get a handle on that. And of course, for us, more than any other Old Testament character, Jesus came from being with the Father, eternally the eternal Son with the Father. He has a relationship with the Father that blows your mind away. He'd been in eternal face-to-face fellowship, delighting in one another, full of love. And one day the Father saying to the Son, I send you. And the Son walking the earth and saying, I only want to do what pleases him. I'm only going to say what he wants me to say. What I hear, I'll speak. What I see, I do. I'm just living relationship with the Father. Nothing's going to pull me away from that. I go in secret. I live in the bosom of the Father. This phenomenal relationship. And then he says to us, now come, when you pray, say, Father. For as many as received him, he gave the right to become sons of God. So we're not coming to a, even a distant God who said, my name is, I am the Lord who will provide. That's great. But how wonderful to come to a father who knows your need. You've got claims on a father. It's wonderful. The relationship, I've got kids, they've got claims on me. They've used it sometimes. Dad, can we have? Why? Well, I'm your father. We can talk to God as Father, and Jesus wants to really encourage us. Come and speak to your Father. Come into that secret place with your Father, and talk to your Father, which is in secret. We must try to overcome the attitudes of, oh, do you have to say your prayers? And that terrible religious thing, say ten our fathers. 
No, you come to your father, which is in secret. You have a place and you close the door and you're with your father. It's one of the greatest, greatest privileges that we can have. Elijah went to be with God at the top of the mountain. He got away. And here Jesus is saying to us, come and be with your father. Be aware of his love for you, his knowledge of you, his awareness of what you need and the tenderness that comes from that. Now notice that although his father, even Jesus in John 17, where we're allowed to eavesdrop on the way Jesus talked to his father, even Jesus said things like this, Holy Father. In the same prayer, he says, Oh, righteous Father. So we must beware the dangers. I was uh, preaching somewhere recently, and during the early part of the meeting, the children were in, and they were teaching them a song and singing him with it. And I think it kind of rhymed, something about he's great. And the next line was, he's my mate. And I thought, no, he's not. And it really cringed him. I thought, no, you shouldn't teach your children, he's my mate. He's not your mate. He's almighty God. But he says, come and see me as your father. I've got to get the balance right. I want to be careful that we don't drift away from the, the fear of the Lord, a reverential awareness that this awesome God is my Father with all power. And yet, be careful, he's not your mate. He's your Father with majesty and awe and phenomenal resources, and he knows what you need. So the first thing we notice here is that he withdrew from the crowd. I want to encourage you. Do you have a place where you withdraw? Maybe it is at home. Maybe I used to commute to London to work every day and sometimes it was difficult in the mornings. I found a, a church building. It was always empty midday. Maybe you found somewhere. You could just get away. Be with him. Let me encourage you to do that. Jesus said, just come away. Speak to your father. Shut the door. Be with him. That's the first thing we see about this prayer. Praying man. Second thing we notice is that his prayer was based on a promise. God said, I will send rain on the earth. Now, you might say, when God says, I will do such a thing, why do I need to do anything? God's already made his will clear. God's already said, I'm going to start the rain. So why pray? Doesn't that make prayer redundant? Isn't that a waste of time? Well, this is the wonder of prayer, actually, that instead of uh, God saying, I'm going to do it, making prayer redundant, actually, God saying, I'm going to do it, is meant to inspire us to pray and direct our praying. So that our praying is in line with what God has said. Later we're going to see for seven times he looks and the sky is cloudless. It's a pure Mediterranean a cloud in the sky. Why does he keep praying? Well, Because God said, I'm going to send the rain. And so prayer is built on what God has promised he will do. Prayer starts in God. Prayer starts with God initiating, telling us what he's after. It's not us thinking, what shall I pray for? No, it's much more responding to his initiatives, what he wants to do, and we come and ask him in the light of that. And so you'll find, for instance, in Ezekiel 36, if you read through the passage from 24 to 36, you'll find that God is saying, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. Many, many things God promises in that passage. And then verse 37, at the end of the list, it says, I will yet be inquired of, of the house of Israel, to do these things. These are the promises, now you ask. Because somehow God is using prayer as a magnificent means of drawing us into a living relationship with him. It's not just a code of moral laws 
not just meetings you have to go to, but an invitation to come and engage with him. And he's saying, these are things I want to do, and I want you to ask me for them. And the promises inspire and motivate and keep you going and give you assurance that he will do it. Philip Hughes, in his commentary on 2 Corinthians, says this. When Paul says, pray for me, he's asking the church, please pray for me. You know, the almighty Paul, tremendous apostle called by God, saw a vision. You think, wow, Paul? And he's saying, yes, pray for me. And Hughes says this in his commentary. Prayer is stressed over and over again in the New Testament as a vital prerequisite for the release and experience of God's power. A vital prerequisite. Prayer is the vital prerequisite for the release of God's power. Paul is saying, pray for me. God's promised me, God's sent me, but you pray for me. Somehow that releases God's power. Andrew Murray, and I've been digging into uh, some superb books in these last few weeks, getting ready for this. Uh, Andrew Murray is a writer of a previous generation, but so insightful about prayer. His great prayer, With Christ in the School of Prayer. It's a fantastic book. Another book, uh, The Ministry of Intercession by Andrew Murray. I'll come to Yonggi Cho's book, which I have found perhaps more helpful than any book on prayer, Prayer, the Key to Revival. Uh, it's so helpful to dig into these books. Andrew Murray says, it's as though the promises are waiting for prayer for their fulfillment. We may and must most confidently expect an answer to our prayer. The promise is there. The prayer ignites it. Sort of the prayer makes it happen. That's what he's saying. You unite with the promise. I will send rain. Elijah says, now come on, do it. You find similar with Daniel. It says of Daniel that he's reading the books at Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said prophetically, after 70 years, the end of the uh, exile will come about after 70 years. And it says that Daniel was reading this in the book. And he said, wow, the 70 years are up. And instead of running into the streets, he said, the 70 years are up. It says he gave himself to prayer and fasting and laying hold of God. And then history began to break open. God found someone who would take his promises seriously and lay hold of him. And that's what he's looking for today. He's looking for people who take him seriously when he makes these kind of promises. So Jesus is constantly inviting us, ask, seek, knock. Go on asking, go on seeking, go on knocking. It's my privilege once to go and see Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones after he'd preached a breathtaking sermon on Philip in uh, Samaria and just said radical things. I thought, I must go and speak to him. I said, you know, we believe these things and so many won't believe them, but, you know, we're not seeing them. And he said, well, notice it's a present continuous text. The Greek has this uh, tense Present continuous. So he said it could be translated, ask and go on asking. Seek, go on seeking. Knock and go on knocking. That's how it should be, if you like, translated. So he said, go on asking, go after God. Jesus is constantly inviting us to ask. In fact, it says in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bring forth fruit. Whatever you ask, the Father in my name, I'll do it. I have chosen you, if you miss out the middle bit, I have chosen you to ask. I often will quote that when I'm praying, Lord, I come, I didn't choose you, you chose me, you chose me to go and bear fruit, you said, whatever I ask, 
And so we come bringing our request because he's constantly inviting us to ask. You could say that prayer is fellowship with God. A lot of people have quite vague ideas about prayer. They think, well, it's just meditation. It's just kind of thinking things over. Jesus quite specifically talked about prayer in the context of asking in order to get. He even said, ask that you may receive that your joy may be full. That's how he emphasized prayer, that it's an asking and receiving thing. That's how he wants us to develop our relationship with him, plainly, repeatedly bringing that emphasis. And you'll find that Elijah prays quite specifically to God. He said at first, Lord, he doesn't say, Lord, arrest the attention of this backslidden nation. I don't care how you do it, but somehow just wake them up. They're going after Baal. I don't know what else is going to happen next. He says, Lord, stop the rain. And then later, three and a half years later, God says, now I'll start the rain. He says, Lord, start the rain. It's very specific. It's very focused. It's going after something that you, you really bring your focus to and say, Lord, this is what I'm asking for. This is what I'm, I am coming into your presence asking for this. That's the way it's being taught. Remember when Jesus was moving among the crowds and came to someone who was obviously ill. He said, what would you have me do for you? It was obvious, isn't it? No, no, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus is asking for that kind of specific request. Remember the man who, in the story Jesus told, went and said, can you give me three loaves for my friend? We'll come back to that story later. But he said, can I have some food? Please give me three loaves. It's very focused. It's very specific. I was reading uh, this great book of Yonggi Cho's, and... uh, he tells his own experience, you may well remember or know, perhaps you don't know, that Yonggi Cho started with something very small, a little tent, little meeting in Seoul, Korea. There was hardly any Christian presence in South Korea when he started, and now he's the pastor of the biggest church in the world, nearly a million members now, multiplied meetings, all sorts of stuff, huge, vast, and uh, they would say, prayer is their key, and he's so experienced in prayer. And he says, as a young man, he wanted a little office. And he's praying to God, Lord, I would like, and he names some things. He says, I'd like a chair, I'd like a desk, and I'd like a bicycle. And he says, I'm praying for these things, and they don't come. Lord, I'm asking, please can I have a chair and a bicycle? Can I have a desk? And he said, I felt a small, still voice within me said, son, I heard you the first day when you prayed this six months ago. He said, Lord, well, why haven't I got it then? And he said, you asked for a bicycle. God said, there are many bicycles. Which kind would you want? <laughs> and he said, well, actually, I'd like an American bicycle. And, uh, and then he said, and I'd like a, a, Philippian, a, a, a mahogany desk from the Philippines. And I'd like uh, a chair with wheels on the end of the legs, like a big shot. That's what he says. So he said, I focused, and I said, that's what I'd like. And then he says in the book, within two weeks, I was given an American bike, slightly used by the son of an American missionary. I had my desk made from mahogany wood from the Philippines, and a chair, of course, it had little wheels on the eggs. So he said, I got what I asked for. And I believe that God would say, come on, I want you to be as specific. I know for myself, when I was first left secular work, living 
trusting God for my needs to be met. And they came quite remarkably, quite just kept coming, praise the Lord. I thought, well, perhaps you don't have to ask. It happens. God told me to go. God's promised he'll supply, and it was just coming. And, and then it just began to dry up. I thought, Lord, what's going on here? And for me, Christmas was drawing near, and I thought, Lord, this is scary. Uh, the money's running out. Uh, Christmas is coming. My parents will probably give me Christmas presents. Uh, they're not Christians yet. Uh, oh, what do I say? Thank you. I haven't got one for you. I serve God. I haven't got any money. Uh, and I'm asking God all about this, Lord, Lord, what do I do? And I felt God spoke to me ever so plainly and said to me, ask the number of verses in this psalm. That's how it came to me. He told me of a psalm number, and they said, ask for as many pounds as there are verses in that psalm. So I'm quickly looking up to see how many. And I can't remember, to be honest, what the psalm was. I remember the experience very vividly. And Lord, I said, I ask you now for this. I deliberately asked. And within the week, I had three gifts that added up to precisely that sum of money. It was so exciting. Ask God very deliberately. I remember when we needed the first building as a church. We started meeting in a schoolroom in Hove. We needed a building. I remember being so struck. Clarendon Mission, that's the building we need. I thought, we need that building. And I remember one day when Dave and Henry Tyler and I, the three of us, were on our knees said, God, please give us that building. And suddenly faith just came whooshing up. And we knew we'd got it. I had the joy of meeting the pastor of the church. And I thought, how can I get him to speak about his building? And after a few remarks, he said, I'd like to speak to you about our building. I thought, oh, Jesus, thank you. And we were in there within the year. It's so exciting to pray specifically because we get into God and we get to know wow that's God only God knows it's a relational thing we're, we're getting caught up with God Wendy and I were recently in Missouri as I said earlier and one guy had recently purchased a very large telescope and uh, he brought it to the conference because he lives in the big city he wanted to get away from the light of the city and we were, were meeting in a campus university and on the way back from the campus at night it's pretty dark so he set this uh, telescope up and actually where we were all walking and it was quite substantial on this high pod on the ground he said do you want to have a look I said yeah I'd love to and I looked through and what I could see as clear as a bell was Saturn with its rings around it I'm looking at Saturn I'm like I looked at the sky I thought grief goodness knows where it is but I'm here I can see, I'm looking at Saturn with the rings. Wow! It's just focusing in on, not just the sky, but Saturn. It was very exciting. Someone prophesied over me in one of the meetings recently, God wants you to have like a telescopic lens, like a modern uh, gun that focuses in, the lens comes in, you close in, then you pull the trigger. I thought, yeah, I want that. Don't you want that? Just say, Lord, I want this in particular. I want to go after you particularly. Not just the skies, that. I'd love to press through and lay hold. And that's the sort of thing we find here, that he's asking specifically. He's coming to God. He's saying, Lord, you promised, let it rain now. And he prays according to the promise of God. Right. So when we pray... It's so important that we know the word. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you will. It's like, Lord, I live by your word. 
Lord, I live by every word from your mouth. You're, you're speaking into my heart, and so I know what you want. And we pray along the lines of those things. Right? So he's praying. Second point was he's praying based on promises. Thirdly, he prayed fervently. Right? He prayed, Elijah prayed fervently. This is in James 5 and 17. There was great power in his prayer. Alec Matier in his commentary on James says this, inherent strength, potency, power waiting to be released. Elijah's prayer carried a mighty punch. There's actually power. It's important to remember verses like this. When we're praying, we come to God, you say to God, Lord, you said, there's great power when we pray. The earnest, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man makes great power available. You promised it. And when it says a righteous man, don't think, oh, it doesn't qualify me. Um, no, no, it means righteous in Christ. It goes on very quickly to say, Elijah was a man just like us, the same nature as us, same phrase that Paul uses when they try and worship him because they do a few healings. They came to worship him. And Paul says, no, no, we're just a man of light nature with you. Same phrase. We're just ordinary people, righteous in God's sight through the blood of Jesus. But we can ask, you made promises, Lord. You said there's power, there's fervent power, dynamic power when we pray. The actual Greek literally means he prayed in his prayer. He prayed in his prayer. It's a bit based on the old Hebraism where they just multiplied words to say the word again. It kind of gives... Focus. He prayed in his prayer. Don Carson says in his book on prayer, pray yourself into prayer. See, sometimes when we pray and we feel a bit dull, that's not a time to back off, dear friends. You begin to pray in your prayer. That as you pray, you suddenly find in your heart, it's like a telescope that opens up and things you never knew were there. Paul says we work with all the energy that he mightily inspires within us. There's a praying that grows as you do it. Pray yourself into prayer. For myself, I tend to, when I go to prayer meetings, I tend to pray quite early on to get into it. I just want to be in it. Then I pray through everybody's prayer. When they're praying, I'm praying. Pray yourself into prayer. As you pray yourself into prayer, you suddenly find yourself praying things you never thought of praying. You find it kind of extends you. You feel I'm somewhat being taken over. There's an energy that's kicking in. And with it comes faith. Because you think, hey, this is beyond what I would have asked. You feel this is the, I am praying, what the New Testament calls praying in the Spirit. You feel there's an energy that's waking up within you. Now, praying with the Spirit is talking about praying in tongues. But praying in the Spirit, I do believe, is talking about when the Spirit of God energizes you to pray. You find a fervency that you think, wow, I don't know where this is coming from. You almost feel like you're looking on, you're being taken over. And with it often comes faith, because you think, wow, this is the Spirit praying. So you are relating, there's a fervency that begins to happen, dear friends. So when we say pray, it's not some duty thing, it's not some boring going through, not reading out. It's a dynamic experience. He prayed fervently with power. And, and as I said, Carson says, pray into praying. Pray yourself into prayer. You'll find that it will grow in you. You'll find that Jacob, we're told, because the Bible's full of these characters, Jacob wrestled with God. What a phrase. He wrestled. Remember he met the angel 
And he wrestled with him. And he said, the angel said, let me go. He said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And this man prevailed. It says of Jacob, he prevailed with God. And on that occasion, God changed his name. He said, now you are Israel, prince with God. Wow. A man wrestled with God and had his name changed. He said, you have fought with God and prevailed. What a blessing is this? That we can lay hold of God. That we in this church, thinking of Brighton, 300,000 people without God, thinking of a nation that's losing its way desperately, to think that when we gather and pray, when we come here on a Saturday morning, when you're in your small group, when you're alone, you could be saying, God, I want your favor. I want you send the rain. Let the power of God come. We can wrestle with God. That's what we're invited to do. Elijah was a man like us and he prayed. Now let us pray. That's the implication. That's what the Bible is plainly saying. You'll find that these characters often did this. Moses. You think of Moses. I love these stories. In Moses, Exodus 32, verse 7, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses because what happened was Moses had gone up into the mountain. He'd had a revelation of God. While he was in the mountain with God in the valley, the people had said, We don't know where this Moses has gone. Make a God. And Aaron made a golden calf. You remember the story? He made an idol. He said, let's worship this idol. This is the idol that brought us out from Egypt. And they start dancing and fooling around in front of this God. And God sees it from heaven. And God speaks to Moses as Moses is going back down to encounter these people. And God says to Moses in Exodus 32, 7, the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once to your people, whom you brought out from the land of Egypt, for they have corrupted themselves. I have seen this people. They are an obstinate people. Then he says this amazing thing, verse 10. Let me alone, that my anger may burn against them. I just underline that in my Bible. Let me alone. This is God speaking to a man and saying, let me alone. It's like, you can hinder me. A man can hinder God. Let me alone that I may judge them. What power does this man have with God? Let me alone. You'll find Moses answers him and says, when God says to Moses, this people, your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, and Moses argues, your people, who you brought out of Egypt. What will the heathen say? You're not able to bring them in? I mean, Moses argues with God and prevails. And prevails. God hears him. God spares the people. Because Moses is being offered. Moses, you become the new Abraham. I'll start the nation again with you. At least I can trust you. We'll have a new nation. And Moses says, no. What will the heathens say? You said you'd bring them in. It's wonderful, dear friends. It's just a man arguing with God. It's just a man appealing. It's what we can do. There's a world out there that doesn't believe there is a God. We can argue, we can give our apologetics, but above all, dear friends, we can pray and release a power that confronts our generation. We can pray as a church. We can gather here, plead with him. We can be here on Saturday mornings. Let me encourage you, if you're free, get here. Your small groups, your zones, wherever it is. And I hear so many these days, little groups of guys getting together from time to time. Let's remember, God is willing to be sought And the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. 
it accomplishes a great deal. See, sometimes you come into a kind of sovereignty perspective. I know for myself, I wasn't born again into a church that emphasized the sovereignty of God. But after being a Christian for a little while, I read A.W. Pink's book, The Sovereignty of God. And it helped me to see the majesty of God. He does all things after the counsel of his own will. And every line is kind of quoting a Bible verse. And I thought, yeah, God is great. But somehow I thought, well, what's the point of praying then? If God's going to do it all. And it, it really kind of undid my praying until I began to see these sort of things. No, no, God makes promises, but he invites our prayer. He's looking for our prayer. And as Philip Hughes says, it's like God does nothing without our praying. And I want to encourage you, dear friends, let's rediscover the phenomenal power of prayer when we come corporately, when we pray alone. P.T. Forsyth says this, lose the importunity of prayer. Lose the real conflict, listen to this, of will and will. Lose the habit of wrestling and the hope of prevailing with God. Make it mere walking with God in friendly talk. And precious as that is, yet you tend to lose the reality of prayer at last. See, some of us will say, well, I don't set aside a timer. I, I kind of talk to God as I go down the road. Now, actually, that's wonderful. I'm not very good at that. I don't want to rob you of that. But Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and let's get down to some work. Let's release power. Let's get hold of God. And certainly, we've history of that sort of thing here. As a church, we get hold of God. We can see God do stuff. Even as we're looking today for another 150,000. It's breathtaking, dear friends. But in God's infinite mercy, not only do we have your generosity week in and week out, but again and again we say, God, we look to extend your kingdom around the world. We're looking to you to release another 150,000. It's huge, as Steve said in the announcements. It needs us to lay hold of him, to believe him. And somehow it's in that context of praying that he begins to speak to you. I know he spoke to me in the prayer meeting yesterday morning. I know God just, it's wonderful. In his spirit, he kind of releases you. The grace of God comes to you. When the world is saying, mm, don't know if mm, financial difficulties, you can be a bit shaped by the news. You just need a fresh revelation of God's grace sets you free. I just felt God spoke to me yesterday in the prayer meeting. He said, now I want you to do some more. More than you thought. I thought, it needs a touch of grace. Don't you find? I find that. The grace of God came to the church in Macedonia. Out of their great poverty, they begged for the opportunity to give. You think, wow, how does that happen? Well, it's grace. That grace sets you free from the immediate. Heaven touches earth. You step into another dimension and you say, yeah, I think I'll invest some more in heaven. I'll build up my store. Not only that, when I give, as we heard, God gives back to us, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Hallelujah. But somehow I need a touch of grace just to get me into faith again. Because when I lose that, I can think, mm, be careful, difficult days, watch out, the economy. I just need a little bit of heaven to break into my soul. I think, oh, yes, of course, of course, of course. And you will reply, you will supply, you will. Yeah, it just needs that breakthrough. And it's often, dear friends, in the praying context that that sort of thing happens. You get loosed into spiritual realities. 
We are called, dear friends, not to be religious. We're called to know God and pray down his blessing. Fellowship with him, encounter him. Know what he will do with us. And so it's not just the friendly, it's not just driving. Well, I talk to God while I drive. Yeah, but are you pressing in as well? Are you, do you have a secret place where you're with your father? You pray fervently. Dear Carson says this, prayer is not like carpentry or cookery. He talks about reading books on prayer. He says you can pick up a book on prayer, you can pick up a book on carpentry or cooking. And with the, with the book on cooking, you know, put in this, put in that, mix, burn. I was going to say burn, cook for a little while. You know, just obey the instructions and that's it. And he says this, prayer is not like carpentry or cookery. It's the active exercise of a personal relationship. A kind of friendship with the living God and his son, Jesus Christ. No doubt we can learn a lot from books. It's rather like marriage. You can learn a lot from books on marriage, but in the end, it's an active exercise of a personal relationship. The books can help. That's the relationship. And he's saying similar here. He's saying, yeah, the books can help, but prayer isn't like cookery. It's the active exercise of a personal relationship. We need to press into that personal relationship. Elijah was a man like us and he prayed and did amazing things. And that's there saying to us, come on, you can come into that privilege. And then finally, he prayed with importunity. In other words, he kept on praying when, when you look, the sky's still blue. He doesn't say, oh, well, forget then. No, he kept praying. Sent his servant, go and look again. So he looks again. No, it's not a cloud in the sky. It's Mediterranean summer. What would you expect? No, look again. No, it's clear. I can't see a thing. I mean, sunglasses. Let's just forget it. No, go and look again. And he kept praying. He won't let go. That's one of the things that we need to see here. When you say, no, nothing's happening, he doesn't take that as the final word. D.A. Carson says, we're like the, 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 the naughty boy that rings the doorbell and runs away. Now we need to keep on, keep on. And that's, that's very challenging. Jesus told two parables about prayer which were about importunity, about carrying on praying. You remember the stories? One of them is about a judge, and he's called an unjust judge. And this woman comes to him and says, please, answer my appeal, answer my appeal. We haven't time to get into it all. But he refuses her, refuses her. And in the end, he says, I better give up to this woman. Otherwise, she's going to bruise me. She's going to hit me. This woman is going to... And so because of her importunity, because she won't let go, he says, okay, you, have, you win the case. And then the other one is a guy who is, uh, has a friend who comes to his home at midnight. He says, I'm starving. I must have something to eat. And he hasn't got anything to give him, so he goes to his other friend. He says, a friend has come to me and needs three loaves. Give me three loaves. And the answer is, we are in bed. I'm in bed with my family. Go away. No, boom, 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 boom. I need three loaves. Boom, boom, boom. Go away. It's the middle of the night. Go away. Go away. Boom, 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 boom. I need, give me my loaves. Give me loaves. Come on. Go away. Go away. Oh, boom, boom. And in the end, he says, okay, give it to you. He says, not because he's a friend, but because he wouldn't stop. That's what Jesus says. That's Jesus gives these two. Why would he give two stories like that? 
Difference is important. We don't say, well, I tried, I pressed the button, no one came. I added water, I turned switch. We live in that kind of generation. Immediate, add water, turn switch. Now we've got to learn. Now you pray, and sometimes against the odds, against delay. Andrew Murray says this, what a deep heavenly mystery this is of persevering prayer. The God who has promised, who longs, whose fixed purpose is to give blessings, holds it back. He trains us in the school of answer delayed to find out how our perseverance really does prevail. What a mighty power is we can wield in heaven if we do but set ourselves to it. He's saying, yeah, this is a mystery, but why not penetrate it? Why not penetrate this mystery and press into God? Isaiah says, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. How blessed are those who wait for him. He's waiting to be gracious. We don't always understand why. We don't understand why is the delay. Why didn't it happen straight away? You see, sometimes it is immediate. Elijah prayed, let the fire fall. And it fell. And sometimes prayer is like that. It just happens. Other times there's delay. But the Bible is saying to us, don't see that as the end. Press through. Continue to lay hold of God. And it's in that continuing that we grow. Our muscle grows. Our confidence. We're saying, Lord, you promised. You said it would rain. I'm not going to stop asking till it rains. He presses through. He won't let go. Yonggi Cho says this, in prayer the Christian enters into the priestly function of providing an earthly base for God's heavenly interests. This age has become a battleground for two opposing forces, but God has a group in the foreign land that is able to bring the influence of the age to come into this age. God's got a group in the land that can pull in his power The way that the world experiences the dominion of Christ in this present world is through exercising of the church's authority, particularly in prayer. That's how the reign of Christ works. We're told that Jesus ascended. He said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. And the the apostles saw him being taken up into heaven. He said, go, I am now the king. And so they begin to preach. They say, Jesus is alive. And they say, in prison with you. So Peter's in prison. You think, well, where's this king then? How's he exercising his authority? I'm in prison. And it says, they gathered and they cried to Jesus, Lord, look at Peter in prison. Lord, act. And they laid hold. This power was there in the foreign land saying, Lord, demonstrate your dominion. The gate opens, Peter walks out of prison. The dominion of Christ is being worked out through his church, particularly through the authority of prayer. Particularly in that way. Paul Bilheimer wrote a great book called Destined for the Throne, where he develops that whole argument and says, the church will reign one day with Jesus and our prayer life now is getting us ready for that. We're learning to lay hold of Jesus' all authority in this present world. That's how we are practicing that relationship. There are enigmas, but there are breakthroughs of phenomenal proportion. 
Andrew Murray says, Christ actually meant prayer to be the greatest power by which his church should do its work. And that the neglect of prayer is the great reason the church doesn't have great power. I want to encourage us, dear friends. Let's pray. That's what this is all about. It's what this story is about. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed. Amazing things happened. Let me encourage you. Where's, where's your room? Go to your room and talk to your father, which is in secret. Get to know what he's promised. Lay hold of specific. The adventure, the wonderful adventure of praying into reality things that he has promised us. Again, Don Carson says, much prayer is not done because we don't plan to pray. We don't plan to do it. You planned your summer holiday yet? Oh, yeah, we got it all fixed up months ago. Oh, I'm going to do that. I planned it, booked up, got the tickets. We tend to plan what we want to do. Do you plan to pray? It's important to plan. I'm so grateful for a man I met. It's funny, yesterday, Wendy and I just late afternoon taking a stroll along the seafront, and uh, as we were walking along, I amazingly bumped into a guy whose name is Philip Vogel, and uh, I'd not seen him for ages. And when I was 20, and just coming back to God, really, he was about 26, and he took me under his wing, and he was a praying man. And I used to go to his home every Monday night, and I'd pray with him. And we began to see things happen. Then I thought, we must do that more often. So we started Saturday mornings. And I was just being with him. And then I just prayed, and he taught me to pray. Sometimes we need to get alongside people. It's easier sometimes praying with another person. Learn to pray. The disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray. Not just teach us how to pray, teach us to pray. I know for myself, every week I pray with one of the elders very early morning. Tuesday morning, we're there praying, all the elders and staff, every Tuesday morning. Another day in the week, I often ask some of the young guys that are doing a year thing, come and pray. Then on Friday morning, the elders are there together, 7 o'clock in the morning at the villas, praying. Saturday morning here, we're praying. You plan to pray, you pray. You go for it. You make it a priority. Because this is our calling. We believe us. This is the wonderful calling that God has put on our lives. I do pray that as you have been exposed to these scripture stories, you will find a fresh stirring within, overcome difficulties, pray through, press in, lay hold of God. We can call him Father. It may be that you're our guest here tonight and you're so welcome. If you're our guest and you've uh, come along, maybe for the first time, and maybe you say, well, I don't know God as Father. I can't, I don't know. is there a God? You talk about Father, you talk about specifics, then you can know him as Father. The Bible says Jesus came to this world, but his people rejected him. But as many as received him, he gave them the authority to become children of God. So you can pray to Father. Jesus said when you pray, pray Father. But you need to come to know him as Father. And then Jesus himself models it. We read in John 17, he said, Lord, I pray for those who will believe. He's praying for his disciples, and he said, others are going to believe. I pray for them. Maybe for you this evening, you, you don't know this God yet, but you can know him. You can know him now. You can come to know him. You can receive him into your life and 
unlock this wonderful relationship that you can know God who will care for you, who will answer your prayers.